I don't know if you feel it or see it, but so many of the things in the service already have just intertwined, from music to things that we're seeing that God's going to do, to friends, new and old, who have come through God's work here at the church and how he's used each of us individually, to the songs about God accepting us for who we are and sending us out to love those around us and lifting up the lowly. We've all had our turn being the lowly at times. Some of us are there right now. And uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about. Uh, we celebrate New Hope's 32nd year of existence, not really 32, because for a year or more before that, there was a Bible study meeting, and God was continuing and starting things that he'd been working on for a long time. But what I'd like to draw a contrast between this morning is um, two words that we could use to describe what God's done. And I think one word is really helpful, and I think one word is really not helpful, maybe even misleading. One word is experiment, and the other word is recipe. If you think about those two words for a minute, you can start to think how we're going to apply this to what new hope is. 32 years ago and even before that, new hope was a beautiful experiment. A beautiful experiment. But as we look back over those 32 years, we can see what God has done, and we might think that it's the perfect recipe. But you approach a recipe when you're baking and an experiment with an entirely different mindset. Even if at the end of it, you get something wonderful. An experiment you go into saying, these are the pieces that we have to work with. I'm hoping that this is what comes out of it. And so you work into it with an element of like uncertainty and hope. You head into a recipe expecting it to work because it's always worked that way. And if you just put in these ingredients in this order and in this priority, then you'll get the expected outcome. And I feel like for churches, we can fall into the recipe mentality. And I think I would say the same thing as Christians. What do I need to do to have a wonderful life with God? Well, I better make sure that when I wake up in the morning, I have a time of prayer. Better make sure that I read my Bible. Better make sure that I'm involved in some kind of, you know, fellowship with other believers that I'm learning. Those are the ingredients. So if you take a dash of prayer and a little bit of scripture, and if you bake it at just this amount of time, my life will go well. It turns out good. The cake always rises and is delicious. Can I ask for a show of hands for how many people love God and do our best to put the right ingredients in and sometimes the cake burns or tastes terrible or completely fails regardless of the fact that we put in all the same ingredients? Can you look around and just see those hands? This is us. This is, we're being real right now. New Hope doesn't work because it's a wonderful recipe. It works because it's a beautiful experiment. Our faith doesn't work because it's the perfect recipe, and if we just get up and if we have five minutes with the Lord, our day will go well. But if we only have four, that's it. You're going to hit the traffic jam. You're going to get the demotion at work. You and your spouse are going to have the fight, and you're going to look back and be like, I know I should have prayed for the full five minutes. We read quotes by people like Martin Luther that says, if I fail to pray two hours every morning, I'm not sufficient for the tasks of the day, for what God has called me to. And we're like, oh man, my five minutes is really paling in comparison. Maybe all my problems would go away if I prayed two hours every morning. Maybe they would. That should be your wonderful experiment. 
church becomes a recipe. I have one of these papers. I can hold up the recipe for this morning. All right, so the ingredients for this morning are at 1040, do a welcome, and then at 1045, sing two songs in this particular order, which will last for about this amount of time. And then we'll do some announcements and some offering, and then an update and a sermon, and maybe close with a song. It's a wonderful recipe. Have you ever been to a church service where the recipe had all the ingredients and it just felt flat and empty? I have. I've led some of those sermons and services that just felt flat and empty. Well, why? We put in all the right ingredients. All right, God, I know if I just put in a certain amount of time in my sermon that you and I will have time to work through things so that by the time we get to Sunday, the thoughts will be clear and I can deliver what you want me to say. That recipe doesn't always work. There are times where I get to Sunday, I'm still like, God, give me what you want me to say. I don't know how to say it or I don't know what to say. And there are some weeks where in five minutes, God's like, say this, this, and this, read these passages and you're good to go. All right. Because it's a beautiful experiment. Our faith is supposed to be a beautiful experiment, not a delicious recipe to be repeated. And I want us to look back at 32 years and say it did not work because of the things that we have done or the way that we did them. It worked because those were the things that God led us to do. The result of each and every experiment, be it serve home last year or this coming year, is an unknown. And you know what? That's good for us. Because if we can guarantee results, we're going to cut corners. And if we can guarantee things, we don't need faith. And if we're just repeating the past, we don't need prayer. We're resting on yesterday's successes and yesterday's answered prayers. And those are beautiful. I will never look at the beautiful New Hope experiment and say that it's been anything other than a bunch of people serving God and seeking after him. That's why it's had any fruit. That's why. We need to hang on to that. This birthday message is look back at what God has done and look forward to what he's done. And I will tell you, if we are still experimenting with God, the next 32 years will not look like the last 32. They will look like the last 32 if we're repeating the recipe. But if you're experimenting, it won't. We will change and grow. The world around us will change and grow. Mission and kingdom are God won't change. But he's going to give us different things to throw into the test tubes and different things to experiment with. And this makes us feel a little unsteady sometimes because it's much more comfortable to have repeatable results than start a new experiment. I just encourage you to embrace an experimental approach to your faith in your family. All right, God, here I am. Here are my siblings. Maybe you're trying to clean out a house and you've got siblings that you're working with and there's estate matters and ailing parents. Lay it on the table with the Lord. Say, okay, this is our laboratory table, Father. Show me what to do today with these elements. And it might not be what I did yesterday and it might not be what I do tomorrow, but let me be led by your spirit. Because doesn't it feel like if we're experimenting, there's more being led by the spirit required? It's by nature of the experiment. Where are we going to go? Where is it going to end up? So let me say just a couple of minutes worth of the elements that were in the experiment for New Hope back in the day. New Hope wasn't planned for. New Hope is like the surprise baby you have when you're 42. That's what New Hope was like. New Hope wasn't the, the brainchild of a group of people saying, we're going to plant a church. 
What are the best models for church planting out there? This is what we're going to implement. It wasn't led by a pastor who wanted to be a church planter, never in his mind before this point. Wasn't made up by a group of people that were part of like a focus group who would be best adapted to reach out to this neighborhood and plant a church in this area. It wasn't planned in that way. pastor who planted this church was asked to leave the last church he was in. In that moment, is he really excited about what God's going to do next? He's probably pretty devastated about what just happened. But God knew. He took him through that and took a few people through that. And they started asking one simple question. Since we're no longer a part of the church that we're a part of, where are we going to go and how do we find the right church? That's an experimental question. And they started asking, what does it look like to have a good church? Because we're going to try out all these churches every Sunday now. We're church shopping. We're on the market. Every time we walk in through the back door, the pastor's going to try to recruit us. Every church is going to want us. But where do we want to end up? What constitutes a good church? Things like preaching from Scripture. Elevating the name of Jesus. Relationships, not just programs. These sorts of things, people being together instead of just being a part of something, were all the elements of that initial laboratory experiment. And what God was doing in the hearts of that Bible study was preparing them and teaching them for what they envisioned a church to be. Now, they were looking for it in other churches, but they didn't find that kind of sweet spot that place that they felt like, oh, well, this is where we'll go. Let's just all go to this church. Or I found this one, you found this one. They kept coming back to their group and saying, the things that God's giving us feel like sweeter and more special and unique, not necessarily represented in that exact way in this community. And maybe God's calling us to step out in some faith and experiment. Would he bless something like that? So they didn't start with the recipe They started with the experiment. Okay, God, let's see. And they stepped out. And he blessed. And the Bible study grew so it couldn't fit in a house anymore. And then um, office space that Roberto was mentioning before was loaned to us, given. Usually they rent those things, right? Those of you in office space, they usually rent those, ask for money. Nope, someone in town is like, you can have it. So the church is growing. It's got facilities. You have a place for a meeting. God was just doing something. The experiment was proving to be a successful experiment, but not because it was, gee, this is what we want to do. It was, this is where we are. This particular group of people in this particular place, let's see what God's going to do with that. And it is and was a beautiful experiment. But that was before there was ever church building. So this building, as much as we love it, does not define the work of the people here. Many of you are newer people from 32 years ago. Even if you're 30 years ago, you know that we've all shifted. But it wasn't about the specific people. It's not about my dad. It's not about me, although we've been the people involved in leadership as pastor during that time. But it's not just us. Could rename the sign out front Stratton's Church. God would shut us down the next week. It's not been our work. It's not, right? It's God's thing. That's pretty special. That's a pretty special experiment to feel like God can do something no matter where you are, no matter who you've got, just because he's got some plans. But they never would have stepped. There would be no new hope if we were waiting for the recipe before we started the experiment. And so I want to read to you a couple of scriptures this morning and challenge us for the next 32 to maintain 
that passion for experimenting with the Lord. And this actually applies so beautifully to all the problems that we'll have in our individual lives as well as our corporate collective life. Because we'll be like, I'm praying, God, why aren't you fixing this problem? I'm seeking you, but this isn't stopping or going away or resolving. Or I'm at a crossroads and I just don't know what to do. Embrace that. That means that you are God's person seeking God's will and ready to follow God's lead. That's the definition of our faith. The minute you feel like, well, I do the right things and I'm doing the right thing and I'm good, like the plan, what do you need God for? If you've got the perfect plan and the perfect budget and the perfect everything, where's the faith come in? It can be a little scary, but I'm encouraging you to embrace it. This church, we, none of us would be sitting here if that experimental nature wasn't embraced by those very first people. So again, just a few contrasts, an experiment or a recipe. Um, it's uncertain instead of certain. An experiment is seeking, which means we need prayer. A recipe is guaranteed, which means we're just expecting results. Uh, an experiment is motivated by a desire for something, but a recipe is <laughs> driven by a protection of it. You have to do it just right. And when it turns out wrong, you go back and you're like, oh yeah, no, I baked it a too high of a heat, or I forgot this very important ingredient. So it, an experiment is, I want this to go, I want to move forward, not we have to make sure we do it right. Um, and lastly, experiments require humility, but recipes encourage pride. You can say, our church, we've got a great church. And sometimes when we have our celebrations as New Hope, we, we celebrate what God has done here, and it becomes sort of like, wow, what a great thing. Almost as if it's a great place because of what's been done. No, God's been the one doing it. It's a great place because we've followed him, and it has to stay that way. Turn with me to Jeremiah 29, please. We're going to read one of the most famous hallmark verses in the Bible and try to put it into some context. Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Read verses 1 through 14. Jeremiah is one of the prophets who prophesied in Israel. In the whole history of the kingdom of God, the history of the Jewish people and the overarching timeline, Jeremiah falls into the place where the exiles had not yet returned. Now we're focusing on Nehemiah right now. Aside for this Sunday where we're stepping aside to just talk about the church and who we are and what God's doing here. You know, we're, we're working our way through Nehemiah. Nehemiah got to see the fulfillment of the prophecies that we're reading here. Jeremiah was one of the prophets before this, 100 years or so before this, that's saying these things are going to come. He's saying God is going to answer prayers. God is going to respond to us, going to bless us. But when you look at the Old Testament, and we recognize that the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what is to come, right? They call it a type of what is to come. So what God did with the Jewish people in this world, Jesus came and does for us in 
I would say, how do I want to say that? Post-closing of the law, post-institution of grace, Jesus calls us to the same exact things that were done physically, but now spiritually. The Jews were a wandering people lost in the wilderness, waiting to get to the promised land. They were being led by Moses to where they're going to go. We are a foreign people in this world. We do not belong. And we are led by Jesus to the promised land, to where we belong, and to what God has said he has waiting for us. Now, as the Jews traveled, they were to live for God and be holy in their lives, that they made a difference on the world, an impact, showed God's name to be great and mighty, loving, kind, just. We, as God's people, are called to live in the world so that people watch us and say, you're not just the same as everyone else. There's something different about you, and by so doing, we preach God's grace because we don't deserve it, but God loves us anyway. And so we love wholeheartedly to make an impact. So this same concept travels in both. Jesus brought it to the soul level. Moses led them through it at a physical level. It's the same. It's a type of what to come, a foreshadowing, a prediction in so, so many ways. So I would like to read Jeremiah for what it was before we read it for how we apply it. And that's why I said it's the most famous hallmark, one of the most famous hallmark verses, because we're going to get to verse 11 that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many bookmarks do we have at home right now with that exact verse on it? How many bumper stickers? How many? And they're all beautiful and wonderful. But I want us to recognize first that although this passage is written for us, it is for us to learn from, it was not written to us. It was written to the Jewish people at a specific point in time for the specific things that God was going to do in the specific city of Jerusalem and in that nation and in that time. And because we see God fulfill those promises here, now in this stage of the redemptive story, in our place, we say God can do the same exact things for us. So you see how we're going to use it? We're not just going to read something. That would be the same thing as going to one of the Old Testament laws and saying, oh, we're supposed to sacrifice pigeons the third Sunday of every month. Well, Saturday, right? Because we're going to do Old Testament. It's got to be Sabbath. So Saturday, why don't we do that? Because those were the laws that God led his people through so that they could be holy and so that they could confess their sins. Jesus says, your law is love God and love your neighbor, and I will make you holy. The way you go about that is repentance. Ask me for forgiveness, and I will fill you with my spirit. So same thing, but at different levels. So we're going to read what God did for his people during this time, and I think it'll help us recognize that there was no perfect recipe for them, that it was actually an experiment that they followed God into. And that's where we need to stay if we want to see God continue to work for us. So Jeremiah 29, verse 1. 29.1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders in the exile and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the exile was. They were overthrown and their nobles and their leaders were taken away into captivity and kind of the common man was left to just work the land for Babylon. So the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter to Nebuchadnezzar, to the king of Babylon, 
to be read to his people, to be passed on to his people. The timing, the history of this, he says this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and metal workers had departed. So Babylon took all the workers that were of any trade, all the ruling people, and brought them away. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's the letter. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams they dream. It's a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness, not for evil to give you a future and a hope. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So this letter is God's word to all the people who are wandering, strangers in the land. It gets sent to the king and it puts the king on notice. First of all, God says, I sent you into Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar, you think you won a war and took us? Nope. This was God's will, not your military victory. And God says, by the way, you can only have my people for a while, but I'm taking them back and there's nothing you can do to stop them. But to those people that are there, don't be rebels. Don't undermine the land where you are in. Live there to bless the place where you are, and you will be blessed. And eventually, I will bring you back if you seek me with your whole heart. Because I've got plans for you, he says. You know all those people that are scattered all around? God says to them, I'm taking you back to where you belong. We are going to have our kingdom we are going to rebuild those walls. We are going to put that temple back together again. We are going to have priests and have sacrifices. 70, what does he say? 70 weeks or 70 years? My mind is 70 years, I believe it was, right? Thank you, 70. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. So sort of like, okay, Nebuchadnezzar, do what you want, but I've already set the timetable in motion. Have hope. But while you're waiting for the promised land, live a blessed and fruitful life. That's our message for today, too. While we're waiting for the promised land, God's going to fulfill his promise. He's going to take us out of this wandering place. Live a blessed and fruitful life. Because actually God's chosen for us to be in this place at this time. You may think it's an accident of your birth that you're in this country at this day, in this time. You may think that it's an accident of a job, that you got a promotion or you got a transfer and that you find yourself. No, your job did not put you here. Your parents did not put you here. Your country did not put you here. God put you where you are. And where you are is where he wants you to be fruitful and blessed. 
Because while we're strangers here, we're supposed to show people that there is a God who loves his people and who is more powerful than anything else out there. He's more powerful than the country we're in, more powerful than the fears we have, more powerful than our own sins and weaknesses. It's just his plan. And we're in it, for better or for worse. And these people have been sent into exile because it was for worse for a while. But he's like, it's going to be for better. But he doesn't tell them exactly how he's going to do it. He just says it's going to happen. He doesn't say, if you do this on this day and this on this day. He's not giving them the recipe. He's saying, experiment. Come to the table with me and say, dear God, what we want is to see this turn out for your glory. How is that going to happen? We fast forward to Ezra, a man who God raises up. God sends Ezra back. All of a sudden, he reinstitutes the temple and the priesthood. They rebuild the temple. Now there's a temple. Hmm. The clock is ticking on God's plan. It's coming together. Then God sends Nehemiah back and says, there's no walls. There's no place. There's no identity of my people. Rebuild for them. And he does. And the people start coming back because they can't deny anymore what God was doing. That's what we want to be. We want to be people that believe that God is going to fulfill his promises in our marriage and in our church, in our community, in our addictions, in our fears. With our children, with our finances, with our homes, and with our jobs. Do we believe that God is capable of keeping his promises to us? And we have to believe that that is not something we can control. It is only something that we can ask for and seek after. If you believe you can control God, and if you just pray enough or go to church enough, say or do the right things and it's going to work out, then you believe in works salvation. That if you just do enough good things, God is required to do enough good things back to you. It's a fair trade. It's not how grace works. Anyone remember this? It's a quote from a little-known prophet named Jesus of Nazareth. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if his son asked for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then, who are wicked, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Matthew 7, 7. Sounds like an experiment to me. Ask him for it. Go after it. Seek for it. Knock for it. Ask for it. But it's going to be God who does it. How about this proverb? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That sounds like an experiment to me. That sounds like good things happen when we don't trust the way we know. But we want to find out what God knows about something and ready to go after it. What about this? If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's Galatians 5, 25. I think if you give Jesus any credibility, or Solomon's wisdom any credibility, or the Apostle Paul any credibility, they would unanimously say, 
Christian faith is about an ongoing experiment with God that we do not know how it's going to turn out, which drives us to our knees in prayer, but which is motivated by our desire to see God show up, to believe that he's capable of making the experiment work, and not to try to control him by controlling all the variables, living for him and seeking for him. All of this just comes back to prayer. Seek him first. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. There's no such thing as experimental faith without prayer. There are plenty of versions of religion with no prayer. You can do the recipe with no prayer. If you are finding as I've found many times in my life, it's becoming a recipe. You don't really need prayer. don't know what to pray for. You need to do a little bit of a reset and recognize that we're supposed to be seeking God's will, not just repeating the recipe that he gave us yesterday. So this 32-year celebration is uh, an amazing recognition of what God has done and a challenge to us to not repeat it. Let's not repeat those 32 years. Let's seek God the same way that a church has been seeking God for 32 years. And the experiments will be different. The fruit, the results will be different. But they will be there because God will be behind it. Music team, would you come up and close in a word of prayer? Or close in a song. I will say a word of prayer here to ask God to kind of drive these things home to us. Great and glorious God, I thank you for your wisdom. You know best. I thank you for your power. You can do anything. Help us to be small in the best sense of the word, trusting, excited. Help our faith to be motivated by desire, not defensiveness or protecting what we have. Give us faith. Drive us to our knees in prayer so that we can be exactly where you want us to be, just in relationship with you. I pray that you would give each one of us the courage to lay all of the people in our lives on the table and say, Father, how are we going to reach them for you? What's that experiment look like? Each of our family situations, to lay it on the table before you and say, Father, what's it going to look like? I want to live for you in my family. Each of our jobs, each of our finances, to just lay them on the table and say, all right, Father, how do you want us to experiment? And then I pray, Father, that you would keep your promises and that you would lead us through that experiment to see your glory, not our wisdom, not our plan. So I ask your blessing on us through this next year of whatever it is you have for us, Father. Let us lean not upon our own recipe, but in all things acknowledge you, God, and you will make our paths straight. We pray in Jesus' name.